to the Actually Autistic Podcast. I'm your host, Rachel Onstad. And today we do have a guest, Kim Crawley, who you're going to get to hear in a little bit, but I decided it was time to actually get to talk to you folks myself for a change. I wanted to let you know that the beautiful music that I play on every podcast is from the open source Goldberg Variations by Kamiko Ishizaka, and you can find that online. They are completely free to download, to use for whatever projects that you might have, and they are just phenomenal. The one that I usually play during the podcast is uh, Variation Number 1. So that's where that beautiful music comes from. Thank you so much, Kamiko Ishizaka, and all the backers who backed her Kickstarter to fund that wonderful project. Now, when I started this podcast, I needed to let people know that it existed. And that's always kind of a tricky proposition on the internet. There's a lot of people who want to get your ears and your eyeballs. And it's difficult to cut through that when you're a content producer, as I'm sure many of you understand. And so one of the things that I did to help facilitate this is to join way more Facebook groups than I can logically participate in any kind of meaningful way, other than when I launch a new podcast episode go in there and post it. And I want to be clear that these groups are happy that I'm posting this. If they're not happy, then they let me know and I say, I'm very sorry and uh, thanks for letting me know. And then I don't post them there anymore. But there is about 60 or so groups that seem to be pretty happy that I post the new podcast episode there. Now, Because of this, I'm able to reach a lot of people that don't normally listen to podcasts, that don't use a podcast app normally in their day-to-day life. And I totally understand this. It took me way too long to get used to using a podcast app, and now I have no idea why. I feel really silly about it. But for those of you who have never used one, The user interface, it's sort of a cross between a radio station and a CD player. You just pick what you want to listen to and push play. And when you want to do something else, you push pause and it will remember what you are listening to. You can subscribe to different podcasts that you find interesting. So there's some British history podcasts that I listen to and, of course, some Shakespeare podcasts. So when new episodes for these podcasts get launched, then they automatically show up in my podcast app. And then I know that they're there. Not only that, I can see all the past episodes and then I can binge listen, which is super, super fun. I'm binge listening right now to a couple of D&D podcasts. I, I love the podcast. There will be dungeons and Apparently, I was the last to find out about Critical Role. Duh. Anyways, (laughs) so there's a bunch of podcasts like that that I really enjoy. And they don't feel like you have to, you know, subscribe to a bunch of podcasts. But it would be helpful if you subscribed to this one. And you can find it by entering Actually Autistic into the search bar. And then not only will this podcast pop up, but 
Several other really interesting podcasts done by and for autistics will be there, and you might find some of those really interesting too. I'm encouraging you all to do this because I don't know how long I can keep posting in these Facebook groups because it meant I got shut out from posting in any Facebook groups for like 24 hours, which in some ways was really kind of cool not to feel pressured to participate in assorted groups. And I know nobody nobody's pressuring me but me. I, I get that, people. I, I understand. But nonetheless, it was kind of nice to have that break. However, I'm an admin on several groups. And so not being able to post to my own dang groups was a serious problem. So I'm concerned that if I continue to post to these Facebook groups that Facebook is going to do as they did a couple weeks ago and shut me down. And if they do that enough times, then I could lose my account altogether. And so you folks can help me because when I look on my little stats that I get from Wushka, shout out to Wushka, who is the RSS host for this podcast, completely unlimited and free, fantastic service. I love you, Wushka. What I see on my Wushka stats is that over 63% of you are listening to this podcast via Facebook. And so there are a couple things you can do. You can start listening to it on a podcast app. And if you're not sure to do that, I guarantee there's somebody you know that can help you find that and figure it out. I did. I needed help with it. So that's the number one thing that you can do. The other thing that you can do is that you can join the Actually Autistic podcast group and you can get it there because I will always post it there. There's a few questions that you have to answer coming in. Basically, I need to make sure that you're not a robot and that you understand it's not a private group. It's not a support group. And, you know, I'm just there really to post memes in the podcast. And if you have a public event or something like that that you want publicized, I'm happy to to approve those posts. So you can do that. You can join that Facebook group and then you will always get the podcast there. You can find the Actually Autistic podcast website, which is a wordpress.com website, and you can Google that. It can be a little trickier to find because I'm, you know, it's not a huge blog. A bunch of other ones will show up first, but you can do that. Really, the, you know, the best thing to do is to just join the Facebook group or subscribe to the podcast via an app that will automatically deliver it to you. And then there is a third option, which is that if you join the Actually Autistic Facebook group, then you can share the links to the latest episode to whatever autistic Facebook groups you belong to. And that does a few things. It takes some of the pressure off me to help promote the podcast. And if it's different people doing it all the time, none of you are going to get shut down. The only reason that my account got into trouble is because I'm sitting there posting the link to 60 different Facebook groups and to Facebook that looks like spam. And I understand why that is. Nonetheless, 
It's the only way that I can let lots of people know that a new episode has dropped. So that's where we are. That's the kind of nuts and bolts part of running the podcast that you folks could really, really help me with. There's also an Actually Autistic podcast Facebook page, but Facebook will hide that from you. You're better off joining the group because then at least you'll see those posts. I find the pages to be pretty much useless at this point. Darn Facebook. Facebook giveth and Facebook taketh away. Okay, so I've got my list here uh, talking about the music credits, Facebook group. Oh, the web page. So I'm not real great at keeping up on the web page. I try to keep the most current episode posted there. I do sometimes fall down on the job in terms of posting links that I said I would. And I apologize about that. It's a work in progress. And I will get those links on there. And <laughs> if you if you wanted a link and it's not there and you went to the website hoping to get it, just drop me a line and I'll I'll get it up there pronto. To those of you who have sent me nice messages through the website, thank you so much. In fact, everybody who says something nice, who just says they enjoyed an episode or, or found the guest interesting, it's really nice to know when people have listened to it and enjoyed it because that's why I'm making it. Okay. Now, one of the many things I've learned about myself while making this podcast is that I have a tendency to repeat certain stories sometimes. Part of the reason this happens is because I'm basically talking to a bunch of different people about the same topic, and none of them know me very well, and lots of them have never listened to the podcast. And so we'll be covering a topic, and I'll end up telling some of my stories <laughs> over and over again. And I do try to actually cut most of that out, believe it or not. I know that there are certain things I've talked about in the podcast before, and I will kind of surgically remove the parts that I think you folks have heard a million times already. All that said, I'm sure some of them slip through in the same way that I generally have to cut out, I don't know, five minutes of Shakespeare and Blather. <laughs> <laughs> pretty much out of every podcast because this is not the autistic Shakespearean podcast, although maybe it should be. So I, what this is, is really a long-winded apology for me saying, I'm sorry, there's going to be some repetition. I realize that. I try to minimize it in the edit, and I appreciate your patience. If you have to, just fast forward through that story again. Hopefully, I, I tell them in an entertaining enough way that it's not too painful if that happens. Okay, and that brings me to this next episode with Kim Crawley, which I sat on for months now because the audio quality is not great. And I had hoped to re-record with Kim, but that turned out to not be an option. And so I think she has a really good story to tell. I think she has some really wonderful information. And I wanted to give you all the opportunity to hear this interview, even though the sound quality is not the best. So if the sound quality is just too hard for you, I totally understand. And I apologize. And other podcasts will sound better. I promise. The last thing that I wanted to talk about in this little preamble is that I am 
trying so hard to get transcripts made. It turns out not to be something that I can do, and I've asked for help, and people have very kindly stepped up to volunteer, but I have yet to get any actual transcripts back from the the people who volunteered to make them for me. So I think at some point that I'm going to probably have to pay, but I can't afford that. And I may at some point in the future set up a Patreon just to pay for a transcriber. I think it's probably going to run me a couple hundred dollars a month to do that. And that's just way beyond what I can budget for this little podcast. So if you all think that's a good idea, let me know. Should I set up a Patreon to pay for someone to transcribe all the episodes? It's going to be between two and four episodes a month, and then there's all the backlog of episodes that have not been transcribed. And yes, there are some lovely programs that you can use to do part of the transcription. I highly recommend otter.ai if you want to do a transcription. There's also, you can upload audio to YouTube and make a video out of it, and then it will do sort of a transcription for you. And I'm going to try to do that. But neither of these transcriptions are particularly accurate. And even just the work of fixing those is really just way more than I can handle on top of the editing and everything else. So folks, let me know what you think about a Patreon to pay for a transcriber. All right. Well, that's all the notes that I had here for what I wanted to say to you folks, other than thank you so much for listening. With all that out of the way, we'll go right into the interview with Kim Crawley. to the Actually Autistic Podcast. I'm your host, Rachel Onstad, and today our guest is Kim Crawley. Kim is a cybersecurity blogger. Kim, thank you so much for coming on to the Actually Autistic Podcast. The pleasure's mine. When did you first think that you might be autistic? Oh, this goes back all the way to the 1990s. The earliest that someone else suspected I might be autistic was when I was about 13 years old. So that would have been roughly 1997-ish. My grade 7 teacher at the time had someone, some sort of supposed expert, visit the classroom while I was in the classroom with the other students for about half an hour. And then without even interacting with me or evaluating me or anything like that. Back then in 1997, it would have been Asperger's Syndrome, not ASD-1. I only found out about this a few months later when I was with my parents at a parent-teacher meeting. Oh, and surprise! I, yeah, and my wow. grade said. My grade 7 teacher said to my parents, totally ignoring me, even though I was right there. <laughs> well, we had an expert come into the classroom and look at Kimberly for a few minutes, and we decide, obviously, no, she doesn't have Asperger's syndrome. And they're like, of course she doesn't. So, obviously, all of her, you know, the fact that all the other kids hate her and her terrible grades, that's all her fault. Yeah, yeah. Oof. And, like, I wasn't even in the room. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah. So, 
Was that the first time that you'd heard the word Asperger's? I think so, yeah. When I heard about it from my teacher's description talking to someone else is, oh, they get strangely obsessed with strange topics like trains and, <laughs> and stuff. And yeah, eye roll. Yeah, you don't want to have that. <laughs> so then how did you start to think that maybe that did fit you after all. It did seem to fit me, and I felt really deeply ashamed and nervous. Mm -hmm. Like school, every day of school, from the beginning of grade four until I dropped out of high school was was pretty much torture for me. Mm -hmm. Did you have the sensitivities to fluorescent lights and things like that, too? Uh, Not to the same extent as other autistics. I can be... I can be in a room with fluorescent lighting, no problem. Mm-hmm. But I remember when I was four years old, this was, this was back in the 80s. My mom wanted me to be a child model. Oh, dear. And I remember that I was put on stage with all the other wannabe child models. And, and there was bright stage lighting. And there was a crowd of maybe a few hundred people in the audience. And I couldn't keep my face up because the bright stage lighting was too overwhelming for me. Mm -hmm. And I was told later on that I didn't get chosen by the modeling agency because I wouldn't keep my face up (laughs) while I was on stage. And I was like so deeply ashamed about that, too. I mean, four-year-old me didn't really understand much about what was going on, but I knew... I had lost out on what was supposed to be some sort of amazing opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. In retrospect, you were probably better off. I think you were probably better off not having gotten that opportunity, but I'm sure it it must have felt bad at the time. Oh, yeah. But I, I agree with you. I'm glad I didn't go on to be a child model. Yeah. Uh, Lindsay Lohan was a child model, and... She's not that much younger than me, and Mm -hmm. I think I prefer my life now to hers. Oh, yes, no doubt. (laughs) (laughs) No doubt. So then at what point did you start looking into Asperger's more seriously? Well, I mean, school was a living hell, and I was in gifted class, so if I was struggling, I was considered to be an underachiever. The truth is, I think my poor school performance was a combination of really significant executive dysfunction. And also, there have been studies that have come out that said that if kids are constantly bullied, that has an effect on their school performance too, because you can't focus on your schooling if your brain is constantly in stress mode. Yeah, if you're in a constant state of fight or flight it makes it really hard to focus on these other things, these more cerebral activities. And that kind of makes a lot of sense because if you're out in the woods and there's a tiger stalking you, you don't want to be distracted by looking at the butterfly, right? (laughs) Exactly. But the school teacher, oblivious. They didn't didn't seem to give enough about me. And I'm I'm furious in retrospect. Well, you're certainly not alone in that. I think the only thing that saved me was that when I was 
about 12 years old, I went to one of the very first magnet charter schools in Los Angeles. And it was a really cool school. And they had a much more relaxed approach. And it was also filled with a bunch of artists and theater kids. And so it was the first time that I'd ever been to school where I didn't get bullied. Oh, that's excellent. So everyone was eccentric. Everybody was a little different. And it was also K through 12. So there wasn't that same weird kind of cliquish segmenting by age. I was often in classes yeah. with people a year or two younger than me or older than me. And I think that was really, really fortunate for me. I still got out of there as quickly as I could. I still got the GED, and this was back in 1976 or something. I still got out okay. of there because I just felt like my time was wasted there, basically. Yeah. But I'm really grateful to the people who made that school for us. So then somehow you survived and got out of high school. I dropped out. As soon as in the province of Ontario, Canada, at least at the time that I was that age, you could drop out by age 16. Mm -hmm. So as soon as I turned 16, I dropped out. Was that wonderful? Yes and no. I mean, it was great to be freed from going to some place where I'm forced to be and I'm constantly bullied. Right. Actually, I wasn't. Actually, by the time I was that age, I wasn't constantly bullied or ostracized anymore. When I went to the Canadian equivalent of high school, like secondary school, by the time I was 14, mm -hmm. by then I had learned how to mask a lot better mm. and I had like kind of a fresh start too mm -hmm. so I just became the I just became the quiet kid right it was too late by then right it was way too late by then and I dropped out when I turned 16 yeah. when I was 14 I started researching on the web this was back in 1998 this is when most people weren't on the web mm -hmm. about ADD because mm -hmm. I thought oh aha ADD that's what I have right. and i begged my parents to get me assessed for ADD, yeah. and they took me to some place to get assessed for ADD, and apparently I didn't have ADD. Uh, spoiler alert, <laughs> when I got my ASD-1 diagnosis a couple of weeks ago, yeah. I was also diagnosed with ADHD in intensive type. Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, by the time I was 18... I tried another round, and I begged my parents to take me to this place called the ADD Center. And the woman who runs the ADD Center, I think she might still be practicing, her name is Dr. Linda Thompson. And her whole shtick is that all of these developmental disorders, especially ADD, can be treated by bio-neurofeedback, oh, no. which means yeah. sticking a whole bunch of wires on your head that are connected to a computer. And then there's a computer screen with a game on it, like a mouse trying to go through a maze or something like that. And if you keep your brain waves within a certain level, the mouse will move forward in the maze. And if you don't, the mouse will make no progress. So you have to focus your brain waves so that the <laughs> mouse makes progress in the game. After a brief assessment, she said, no, you don't have ADD, but I think you have Asperger's syndrome. And I'm a psychologist, so I'm going to write down on this sheet of paper including a bunch of salacious details about your teenage sexual history. Oh, no. That you have Asperger's syndrome. And so, Mr. and Mrs. Crawley, the way to treat your daughter's Asperger's syndrome is to come into my clinic once a week for a few hours while I 
provide her with bioneurofeedback training, and that's going to cost you $20,000 a year. <laughs> and my parents said, I know it's a lot of money, but we'll do it. We'll spend oh, that money, no. whatever it takes to save you. Oh. And fortunately, at the time I was 18, so I had the legal right to say, no, no, you're not doing <laughs> this. I could tell that since this was her cure for everything, right? that this was bullshit. <laughs> so I said to her, no, no, you're not doing this. Good. So I had technically speaking had an Asperger's syndrome diagnosis, but I didn't really think it was too credible. Sure. And I got no help. Right. Because I didn't want this uh, snake oil, right? Well, so. again, you made the smart choice, even if it meant missing out on something your parents thought would be great for you. So, yeah. yeah. We, we parents, we do the best we can. <laughs> what can I say? <laughs> so then at what point did you decide that you definitely were autistic or were Asperger's or however you defined it at the time? It's strange. Throughout my adulthood, there were cycles in and out of me thinking I was autistic or thinking that, or the kind of self-inflicted ableism in my mind going, no, you mask so damn well, you can't be autistic. That was bullshit. You're not one of those shameful autistic people. Mm -hmm. I remember my, when my dad divorced my mom mm -hmm. and he got remarried to this other woman. One of the kids in my former stepmom's extended family had, I think, an autism diagnosis. Mm. And her daughter had a PDD NOS diagnosis. Mm -hmm. So let's tell our listeners what that means. Okay. So this was before 2013 in the DSM-5. And PDD NOS used to be an autism spectrum diagnosis that just meant persuasive developmental disorder, not otherwise specified. So if you meet some of the vague autism spectrum criteria, but not enough for what was that, an autism or an Asperger's syndrome diagnosis, you might be diagnosed with PDD NOS. Anyway, so my stepsister with the PDD-NOS diagnosis, she would be considered ASD-1 now. Uh -huh. She was fine, a little bit quirky, but I could tell that, you know, we were from the same neurotribe or whatever. Right. But the boy in the extended family was a, an indirect source of shame for me when when we would all be compared to him. Um, mm. I'm protecting his identity, so I can say that when... He was like about 12 years old. Mm -hmm. This was while there were video iPods, but iPhones hadn't become popular yet. Mm -hmm. So I think it was an iPod Touch. He had an iPod Touch. He had discovered that he was gay, and he thought that it would be cool to download some gay pornographic images onto his iPod Touch and then to show it to other kids in the schoolyard. Whoopsie. And he got suspended, and his mother, who was in my stepmother's extended family, visited the school and was mortified. Sure. And uh, also, I was, I was in my early 20s at this point. I had decided to become vegan. Mm -hmm. 
I told my dad, yeah, just, just, I didn't live with my dad at the time, but I visited. Sure. And I told my dad, yeah, I'm vegan now. You got to serve me vegan food. Mm -hmm. And my dad was happy to accommodate, even though he thought it was all silly. Uh But the autistic boy that I mentioned, when he discovered that meat came from dead animals, Mm -hmm. he became like militantly vegan. Right. Like, you're eating meat at the table. I'm freaking out now. Right sort of thing and I was so ashamed by that and wanted to I think my subconscious wanted to distance myself Uh from him and his autism diagnosis Mm -hmm. so I dropped my veganism and I started eating meat and dairy again and also it made me avoid you know any sort of treatment or proper assessment for autism for a long time I got masking really well it wasn't into my I was already aware of the neurodiversity movement online, though. Like, I was already starting to check it out, and I was relieved and comforted by all these messages from other autistic people saying that being autistic is okay. Mm -hmm. But I was still combating my own internalized ableism. Mm -hmm. Another thing that delayed my proper diagnosis was I was poor. Sure. Even though I had grown up, like, upper middle class... Mm -hmm. As an adult on my own, I was poor. Right. Because my my family didn't help me out financially. Sure. I was on my own. And it wasn't until my career as a cybersecurity blogger took off in my 30s that I was able to escape poverty. Well, well done. And now my income is good. Uh Uh-huh. I'm not rich. Right. By any stretch of the imagination. But I was able to spend almost $3,000 of my own money recently on my diagnosis. But there must have been a big gap of time, certainly at least for as long as I've seen you on Twitter, which is only a few months. But still, there must have been a fairly big gap of time in between when you went, okay, yeah, I'm autistic, and when you decided to spend the money. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And so then when did that happen for you? When you went, okay, fine, I'm autistic, and it's okay? Uh, I, would, I would go in and out of the neurodiversity movement on the web. Uh-huh. I think I started looking at Aspies for Freedom and wrongplanet.net and places like that, like around 2006, 2007 or so. Uh-huh. And then I would forget about it, and I would drop it. I out. see. I fell in love with my current boyfriend last year. Uh-huh. And my previous relationship, I had broken up with my ex-boyfriend and I'd moved back to Toronto on my own. And my relationship with my current boyfriend has been absolutely incredible. And also, he's the kind of guy that has kind of a the Fonz sort of image, uh-huh. if you know what I mean. He's a very bright man, uh-huh. very bright. He has some nerdy interests, like he's a big Star Wars fan. Uh-huh. But his image is incredibly holistic. Uh-huh. So holistic. Like, there's nothing remotely intel- autistic about him. Right. He's all smooth, social finesse and all that. He steps onto the set and he's like, hey, and everyone's <laughs> charmed by his bad boy charm, right? Uh-huh. So, <laughs> Including you. <laughs> exactly. So, and he's a rock musician, uh-huh. right? So, I mean, everything fits. But th- further into our relationship, certain things would would happen. I would 
ramble on and on about all the train stations in the area. Because oh. I like talking about it. I love public transportation. I love talking about it. I have public transit maps all over my walls. Uh-huh. I love reading almanacs from front to back. Mm-hmm. I would ramble on and on about things artistically. And he'd be like, this is boring me. I'm glad you're excited about this, but I'm bored. (laughs) So uh, we watched this movie because I'm a big fan of the whole Girl the Dragon Tattoo series. I've read all the books so far. I like watching all the Swedish movies. There was a new American Hollywood movie based on the fourth book Mm -hmm. in the Millennium Girl of the Dragon Tattoo series, the first book that wasn't written by Stieg Larsson. And I've always identified with the Lisbeth Salander character, but it wasn't Lisbeth Salander that I was relating to when we watched the movie in theaters. I related to the child prodigy that she was trying to rescue from the bad guys mm-hmm. who had these amazing mathematical skills. Mm-hmm. I don't have amazing mathematical skills, but I see savant or prodigy-like stuff. And again, it triggers my subconscious. Oh, this is me. Am I autistic? Mm-hmm. And that, and when I would be with my boyfriend's friends, and it was very awkward for me to explain to him, I like hanging out with your friends, but I have a social limit. Mm-hmm where I've had a couple of hours and now all my spoons are gone and I need to get away from other people. Right. (laughs) Or things like that. Or I would go to all kinds of really loud rock concerts with him Uh because that's what he's into. And I'd have to go outside several times so that I could manage my overstimulation from the loud noise. And so there are all these things happening and then it kind of all kind of hit me of... Maybe I'm autistic. Again, this time, just before I turned 35. So you had sort of been what I like to call autistic curious and kind of experimenting with being part of those communities. But it wasn't until you were in your 30s and in a pretty stable, happy relationship that you were ready to go, oh, yeah, this is probably me. Yeah, because even though my boyfriend, Jay, is really bright, mm-hmm. he is he, he couldn't possibly be moralistic. Right. If he's neurodivergent, it's not an autism spectrum kind of neurodivergence. Got it. Got it. Yeah, it's a, it's a <laughs> so, specific thing as we, as we are figuring out as we go along here. Yeah, I'm always leaning upon his natural social charm. Mm-hmm. That I don't have. Yes. <laughs> so, anyway, I, I had diff- I, I went to my ex boyfriend's house with him because I'm still friends with my ex boyfriend. Uh-huh. And I said to both of them at the same time while while we were at my ex boyfriend's house, I'm going to go and I'm going to get an autism assessment. I I'm, I think I'm autistic. Mm-hmm. And in January. I found a private psychologist who specializes in adult autism. And I was able to find him because I'm in Toronto. And Toronto has two of the five psychologists in all of Canada who are qualified to diagnose autism oh my gosh. In, in adults. It really helps to be, probably, to be in a city, doesn't it? Exactly. There are probably hundreds of people in Canada who are qualified 
to diagnose autism in children. Oh. But very few who will diagnose adults. Yeah, that's a problem. So, yeah. So I was tested by Dr. Reinhardt for a whole day. Wow. And what was that process like? I think there was an A dose and there was part of the Weschler IQ test. The A dose is a standard autism screening test that involves being given a children's storybook and making a story out of the illustrations. There are all kinds of little tests like that of my short-term memory and of my apparent intelligence and my creativity and my so-called theory of mind and stuff like that. Yeah. And there are also tests that I gave to my Mm ex-boyfriend and to my Mm half-sister so that he got second and third opinions from people who know me. Oh, good. People who'd known you for a while. And there was also tests to screen for masking and stuff like that. Oh, fantastic. And then, uh, so January 6th, I went through all the tests I think it cost me $2,632, which I get paid in U.S. dollars all the time. So that's about $2,000 U.S. dollars. I see. And then, because even though, like, you talk about the wonderful public health care in Canada, but it doesn't cover things like psychologists, Mm -hmm. and it doesn't cover dentists for most people, Mm. and it doesn't cover pharmaceutical drugs for most people, even though our pharmaceutical drugs are way the hell more affordable than they are in the United States. You're right. Right. Like 10% the price of American pharmaceuticals, basically. Right. I think the United States is just so bad. <laughs> that, yeah. That anything looks better. I mean, obviously, pharmaceuticals should be covered, even if they're 10% of what they are here. And we all need our teeth. <laughs> I don't know why they don't pay yeah. for dentists and things yeah. like that. But I, I, I spent $3,000 of my own money on dental surgery last oh year. Oh, my gosh. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's okay. But if I go to a doctor's office or if I go to a hospital, uh-huh. all of my health care there is free. Wonderful. Wonderful. <laughs> that's, that's fantastic. Um, so... Why did you decide to get the diagnosis? Because I want answers. I, in the whole is self-diagnosis valid controversy mm. within our movement, I'm totally on the self-diagnosis is valid side. Uh-huh. But I still, there's a part of me that still wanted some sort of official confirmation. Right. And you're certainly not alone in that. I, I know a lot of people do feel that way, that they really want somebody that they have some confidence in to just give them a freaking answer, yes or no. I seem to be somewhat unusual in that I it, I just recognized it. I think part of it is that I was 57 when I began to look oh, at this wow. stuff, which was just this last November. and That's amazing. <laughs> right? And it was just obvious to me. And then when I joined some of these Facebook groups and watched some Sarah Hendricks videos and got on Twitter and all that, and then just more and more and more things, it became obvious. I'm face blind. I've always had a really painful sensitivity to fluorescent lights. Uh, You know, the list goes on and on and on and on. But like you, 
you know, I was reasonably bright as a kid. I started reading really early. I couldn't do math. I seemed to have dyscalculia. And so, you know, they, they called me gifted, but then, of course, that meant that they called me lazy and everything else and blah, 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 blah. <sighs> so I really empathize with anybody who went through all that. But anyway, you know, it would be crazy expensive for me to do. And to be honest, I have some misgivings about getting an official diagnosis. I am not sure <laughs> that it was necessarily be a good thing. Uh, I get concerned when I see that they're discriminating against autistic people for things like adoption and uh, even sperm donations. Like if you want to donate sperm, if you have an autism diagnosis in England, they don't let you donate sperm to sperm banks. Yeah, oh, that's terrible. So, and it's not directly eugenics, but it's kind of it's flirting with it. <laughs> it's like, yeah, it's flirting a little too close for comfort for me. And I also just feel like I want people to feel valid in their self diagnosis. You know, I know that I'm right handed. I know that I'm cisgendered. I know these things about myself. And so I just feel really comfortable with that reality. Well, for the record, once again, your self-diagnosis is valid. Seldom do adults figure out that they're autistic, and it turns out that they're wrong about it. Well, exactly. You know, I can see if I was in my 20s and just didn't know myself very well yet. But for better or worse, you know, I've got a lifetime of rejection to look back on. And I had sort of pieced all these things together. I'm like, well, I don't do real well in groups. And I'm better off if I don't see the same people every day. I, I remember, uh, I don't know, I had decided uncharacteristically not to say something to somebody. And, and I was explaining to my ex at the time, I have a good relationship with my, my ex-husband as well. And okay. uh, I said, look, I'm a know-it-all. And I know I'm a know-it-all. But not everybody else has to know that I'm a know-it-all. <laughs> Are you hyperlexic too? Yes. Like me? I think we're both hyperlexic. Yes, I'm, yeah. I'm hyperlexic. And you know, I addicted to Shakespeare for that reason, because Shakespeare is just layers and layers and layers of meaning. So I, you know, didn't understand what all these different things were that were happening in my life. But I'm so analytical, that I kept coming up with all these descriptions. I remember telling a fellow grad student, when I talk to somebody, I feel like there's transparent layers on the outside of them that I'm not seeing and that the other person yeah. is expecting me to interact with. But I'm seeing the person behind all those layers and talking to that person. And often that becomes a very intimate, emotional conversation because I'm seeing behind their own social persona and interacting directly with that. So if people are comfortable with that 
as sometimes theater people or artists or therapists or people who've done a lot of Buddhism, you know, or done a lot of walking in the woods and just like to be really authentic in everything, then I get along with those people really well. But everybody else is terrified because they thought that they had put up a lot of barriers in between themselves and the outside world and sort of hid those vulnerable parts of them. And I think that's a lot of the reason why sometimes holistics are uncomfortable around us. Yeah. Because we're ignoring that social persona completely because it may as well be, you know, not be there as far as we're concerned. So now you have the diagnosis. And how did that feel when you got that official diagnosis? It was a relief. Mm -hmm. But it was like... I was expecting this to be a 90-minute movie, and then you'd get the conclusion to the plot at the end, (laughs) and it turned out to be a 50-hour movie. Right. Where you expect, where you already kind of suspect what the ending of the movie was, and now we're into the 50-minute movie. Yeah. 50-hour movie. Yeah. (laughs) So it's kind of anticlimactic. Right. Even though you and I understand that self-diagnosis is valid, an holistic person who is like outside of our community, like my boyfriend, would take it a lot more seriously with a formal diagnosis. Otherwise would think, oh, you're being a hypochondriac or whatever. Well, and I, I think to be fair to the holistics, I think that other autistics and undiagnosed autistics and neurodiverse people of all kinds, if you're not immersed in the autistic Asperger's community, you just don't know why diagnosis would be so difficult. And I mean, we're spotted instantly as being odd or quirky by holistic people. So why? I think we can spot each other. <laughs> I can't. I can't. Oh. I mean, you know. And I looked at myself in the mirror for 57 years and didn't see it, right? (laughs) So That's another thing. The autism stereotypes have existed for years. Didn't recognize women. Right. Didn't recognize non-binary gender people. Well, I guess the general public still doesn't recognize the very existence of non-binary gender people. Doesn't recognize autistics who aren't white. Mm -hmm. Doesn't recognize that we could get married and have kids and be parents. Isn't that weird? Or have <laughs> sex lives or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Or have an imagination or have empathy. Yeah. I think that oh, I might have come to this realization a lot sooner if I hadn't heard those stereotypes because I'm ridiculously empathic. Yeah. And that that is one of the most harmful stereotypes ever. I agree. Autistics have no empathy. Yeah. It's an excuse to abuse us and it has been used to abuse yeah, us. Yeah, it's pretty it's pretty terrifying. So, now you have the diagnosis and so what did your boyfriend think? He he loves me. He keeps reminding me that he loves me for who I am and and I stim in front of him now all the time. Mhm. How do you like to stim? Oh, I have a broken earbud cord. Oh, fun. And I love <laughs> twirling it, uh-huh. like, in front of my face. Uh-huh. I love our 
different creative ways of expressing that. I think that's super cool. Yeah. Oh, yeah, because my parents punished me for it. Oh, I'm sorry. So did you tell your parents? Well, my dad has been dead for about five years. I'm sorry. That's okay. And my mother is dead to me. So my parents weren't really a factor in all this. At this point, I don't have any parents. Got it. Yeah. I understand. You're orphaned. Yeah, I'm an orphan. (laughs) So you work for yourself. Mm -hmm. And when did you start doing cyber blogging, cybersecurity blogging? And tell us a little bit about what does it mean to be a cybersecurity blogger? That, those are excellent questions. Yay. Uh, I've, been, <laughs> I've been doing this for almost a decade now. Uh, my career didn't really take off, though, until about three years ago. Mm-hmm. So I, I languished in obscurity for a while. Uh, most of my work entails writing about cybersecurity for the corporate blogs of several different tech companies. So it could be news like cyber attacks or it could be like general topics within my field. So that's, that's mainly what I do is some of the companies that I work for right now are AT&T Cybersecurity, uh-huh. BlackBerry Silence, uh-huh. which is Silence, it's, uh, sorry, it's BlackBerry's recently acquired artificial intelligence anti-malware division, basically. Mm-hmm. Work for Vanafi, which is a company that makes the software behind machine ad- identities like TLS certificates for the web, for instance. I worked for some other antivirus vendors, like I used to work for Komodo, which is also a certificate vendor as well. Yeah, that's basically what I do. I write for those corporate blogs. And so do you have to write a different article for each blog, or can you recycle them? Oh, yeah, I, I, I wish. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's original content for each I blog. See. Yeah. And so what's the title of a article that you might write? Okay, well, I'm, I'm in my home office. I'll give you some examples of what I most recently worked on. Uh-huh. Uh, one has the perspective title of Website Downtime Due to Expired Certificates is a Huge Problem. Oh. And that's going to be for Vanafi's blog. Uh-huh. I've got, let's see here, another one for Vanafi is Sea Turtle Takes Advantage of DNS's Weak Security. So that one's been published. That one's been published now. And so was this an actual sea turtle? No, it's Dang a it. hacker group that's been named Sea Turtle. Yeah. Oh darn. I was picturing some yeah. sea turtle chewing through cables. You're a visual thinker? Very much so, yes. Yeah. So my yeah, my field is very interesting. Uh, one thing that makes me unusual in my field is that a lot of the people who do the precise sort of work that I do mm-hmm. are cybersecurity practitioners as a day job, and they do this kind of stuff on the side. Right. I do this full-time. This is my full-time day job. Wow, that's amazing. And how many women are in this field? Uh, it's a male-dominated field. Uh, the most recent figures no. that I've seen. 
The most recent figures I've seen, because people research the percentage of women in technical fields, cybersecurity looks like it's now roughly 5 to 10% female. Well, like just in general, cybersecurity. I guess it's getting better. <laughs> yeah. So, one of the, oh, I forgot to mention yeah. another one of the companies I work for, Tripwire, uh-huh. which it make Tripwire makes the kind of cybersecurity products that a big company would use. I see. It's not something that an ordinary consumer would buy. Right. I write for their the State of Security blog, which is very popular in my field. Uh-huh. And ever since 2016, I've had an ongoing series on their blog that was originally titled Women in Information Security, Mm -hmm. where I would interview other women in my field Mm -hmm. and what it's like to be a woman in cybersecurity and stuff like that. At one point, someone approached me saying, I'm a transgender woman. Uh Uh-huh. Would you interview me? And I said, yeah, of course. Transgender women are women. Right. And then someone else approached me saying, I'm not a woman per se. I identify as a non-binary femme. Mm-hmm. Will you interview me? Mm-hmm. And I said, sure, I'll just, I'll just interview anyone in our industry who isn't male. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and then by this year, I decided, you know what? Only 80 or 90% of the people who I'm interviewing are cisgender women. And I've interviewed several non-binary gender people so far. Uh-huh. Out of the 60 or so people I've interviewed for this series since 2016. Wow. So I was like, I should acknowledge this in the title now to be inclusive. So now it's called the Women and Non-Binary Gender People in, in Information Security Series. Awesome. And later on today, I'm recording a podcast for one of the companies that I work oh, for. Oh, fun. What's it about? Blackberry Silence insecurity podcast uh-huh. and it's about me and my autism really so this is a cybersecurity company that i work for but they want to talk to me on their podcast about my autism wow this is blackberry that's fascinating so did yeah. you, so did you tell them about that I didn't tell them directly they all follow me on twitter and they saw me tweet a lot about autism What advice would you give to our listeners in terms of being reasonably safe online? Do you have any tips or hints? Oh, yeah. Um, One of the most common tips I give to ordinary people is I, like other people born in the 1980s, I love going to restaurants, I love taking photos of my meals and uploading them to Twitter or to other social media platforms. You can do things that are exciting and share information about the things that you've done on social media, but don't post to social media about where you are and what you're doing while you're there. Mm-hmm. Don't, don't, don't make it so that if a stalker is looking at your Twitter feed or your Facebook feed or your Instagram feed or whatever, that they will know where you currently are. Right. So that, that's one tip I have. Mm-hmm. Another tip is we all have multiple online services that we use now. Mm-hmm. And they all have usernames and passwords. Mm-hmm. 
use a password manager. And how do those work? Well, pass on desktop, there are password managers built into Google Chrome and Mozilla Firefox, and I believe Safari in, on in on Macs and whatnot. Mm-hmm. So use the built-in. You can use the built-in password manager in your web browser. You could use third-party applications as your password manager, such as. One password. Uh-huh. One of the nice things about password managers, other than the fact that they will remember your passwords for you, is when you need to create a new password for a new online service, you can have the app generate a random, very secure password for you. Uh-huh. And it can be made a lot more secure because you don't have to remember it and you don't have to manually type it in. Right. Yeah. And make sure that your passwords are different for each and every service that you use online. Okay. Because data breaches happen constantly. Mm -hmm. All of us have had our data breached, I guarantee you. If you go to a website called haveibeenowned.com, but it's spelt with a P. Okay. H-A-V-E-I-P-E-W-N-E-D.com. Okay. You can type in your email address there, and it will tell you all of the associated online accounts with that email address that have been affecting data breaches. And I guarantee you, we have all been owned. So Over and over so that, again, I'm sure. Yeah. 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 So that sort of thing just drives home how important it is to have a unique password for each of your online services, because... Mm-hmm. If your Netflix gets breached, you don't want the cyber attacker to be able to use the same password to log into your Facebook account. Right. And then once they get into your email, it's all over. Yeah. So do you have any other suggestions? like In terms of dealing with trolls and things like that, do you just block them? Most of the time, yeah. Blocked possibly, you know, hundreds of people on Twitter. Mm -hmm. So what other, what do you like to do for fun? Oh, yeah, because we all have our uh, special interests. Most of us do, yeah. And it, I just yeah. I, I want to assure some of our listeners, if you don't have a special interest right now or you, or you don't ever, that doesn't mean you're not autistic. It's okay. But an awful lot okay. of us do have those special interests, and they come and go. So what's, what is delighting you right now? I love video games so oh. much. Uh, my favorite... <laughs> My favorite type of I play a number of different types of video games. Uh-huh. What do you like? But my my favorite type of video game is Japanese RPGs. Oh, okay. And I have I buy most of the Japanese RPGs that come out for the PlayStation Four. Mm-hmm. I have a large collection of old console games that are JRPGs that date back to the eighties that I play on my RetroPie, uh-huh. which is a game console that I made with a Raspberry Pi. Oh, fun. Yeah. I mean, I just I just love them. There are other types of video games that I like, uh-huh. but JRPGs are easily my favorite. The walls of my bedroom are covered in posters related to anime and manga <laughs> and JRPGs. I have a couple of posters related to my boyfriend because he's a rock musician. Uh-huh. So it's like a, it's like I got music fan posters, but oh, that's my boyfriend. Yeah, <laughs> I'm goth, uh-huh. so I like goth music and goth culture. Uh-huh. 
I look very goth. Like my everyday fashion sense is very, very goth. Mm -hmm. I love playing drums. Oh, fun. I have a drum kit. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Actually, when I'm not working, I don't like to think about cybersecurity too much. I don't blame you. (laughs) You're not getting paid to think about it. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. All right, Kim. Well, what would you like to say to the audience? The autism spectrum is immensely diverse. I mean, obviously, when people say, oh, we're all a little bit autistic, that's disrespectful because only a minority of the general population are autistic, but more of us are are autistic than have ever been suspected. Mm -hmm. Like it's now suspected that maybe as many as 150 or even 130 people are autistic. And we are a much more diverse group than the stereotypes used to suggest. Like, like for instance, Rachel, you said that you have face blindness, which means you can't usually or you have problems with distinguishing people based on their faces. Yeah, I have trouble recognizing people if they're too similar, like if they all have the same haircut. And in particular, people who have really symmetrical faces and similar hair. So... Watching movies is really difficult for me if there's a lot of really ridiculously pretty people in there because they all look the same to me. I can't tell them apart. You would prefer at least that people stuck to the same hairstyles. Oh, please. Yes, forever. Forever. (laughs) And so on Facebook, that's not bad because people don't change their names too often on Facebook. But on Twitter, it's a disaster. People change their names. They change their avatars. And there's people in my Twitter feed that I followed. I have no idea why. <laughs> I don't know who they are. <laughs> and people that are, yeah. they go missing. And I I don't know what happened to them. I don't know if they left Twitter or if they just changed their name. So uh, that gets very frustrating for me. But yeah. So anyway, but I was, you're supposed to be talking right now. <laughs> I was careful when I jumped on the Awareness Month bandwagon Mm -hmm. that it says Kim, my username right now on Twitter says Kim Crawley Awareness Month. Mm -hmm. I kept the same avatar. If you you have face blindness, you will recognize at the beginning Kim Crawley. Well, and I recognize you because you're very distinctive. Yeah. You clearly come through very goth, even in that tiny, tiny little icon that I see on Twitter. Yeah. I will forget names unless I've met a person a few times. Uh-huh. Or I met them once, but they were really important to me. Right. So we have a lot of similarities and we have some differences, and it helps to illustrate how diverse the autism spectrum is. Mm hmm. My advice, if you suspect that you might be autistic, is to look for, do a Google search for neurodiversity, autistic rights, that sort of thing. Try to get information about autism from people who are actually autistic. The vast majority of the information that has been written about us by so-called experts by parents who aren't autistic, it's misleading and it's very often ableist. 
So if you get most or all of your information about autism from people who are autistic, that is your most effective information source right there. All right. That is wonderful advice. Well, thank you so much, Kim. Thanks for coming on our show. And I'm going to get to work on those password managers right away, I promise. (laughs) (laughs) And I want to tell Jason, he's listening, that I love him. Uh, And he's been a really great boyfriend to me. uh, Well, then we love you too, Jason. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, thank you for being actually autistic. And thank you very much, Rachel. All right. I'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Bye. Bye.